The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Easy. Easy. I know, I know, I know. We're almost to the basketball. I, we're almost to the basketball game, but I've I've got it. I've got you on the slope, and you're also fire back. God, the sun, it's coming up. I'm back to, I'm back to normal. I'm back to normal. Although Frankenstein, Frankenstein, you're still here. You're still a monster. Can I be sassy Frankenstein? <laughs> of course. Of course you would call me that. Like we didn't just take a trip to the Hamptons together. Ah. Oh god, the full moon's back. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> this big transformation again's always gonna be about you. Oh god. Why does the full moon last five He's minutes now? He's just doing this for drama. I swear. I this is he only he only does this in front of company. I mean, theoretically, I shouldn't transform for another twenty-four hours. The shampoo bills alone are ruining me financially. Oh God, the sun's back. What kind of job does he expect me to have where I can pay for all of that Vidal Sassoon? <laughs> Paul, we're back from fall break. We're, I, sure, yeah, we're back. We're back from fall break. Boy, has that been a relaxing time off. Yeah, we really got a second of rest in our coffins, because it's Halloween! (laughs) We're back and it's Halloween! Uh... I'm your spooky co-ghost. I'm just going to go with the thing we did last year. Uh, James Kaminsky. Ah, and I'm your co-ghost, Paul Kaminsky. And this is our Jack White History Podcast. And we're back. This is season two, James. Season two. I'm feeling it. And uh, I've got the ghosts, goblins, wolves, and bats. Yeah, we went trick-or-treating. You, we went trick-or-treating prior to this. And your bag is filled with... Ghosts and goblins and dead bats, and we really it shouldn't was... have started the trick-or-treating at the veterinary clinic, but I <laughs> well, have the... got a bag full of rocks. Because he went to the the music store, and I went to the uh, dead animal store. Well, I wouldn't say it's a store so much as a clinic. Well, it's what I call the dead animal store. Uh, so you call the vet—let me just get this straight. Let's just unpack that for a moment. You call the vet— 
the dead animal store. Where I go to pick up all my dead animal needs. Let's not really dive deep into this. Um, this got this morbid real fast, that but that's okay because it's Halloween. Ooh, morbidity is all the rage on Halloween. See, listeners, didn't you miss us? Yeah, didn't you realize that through all this spookiness, we're a Jack White history podcast where we go over Jack White movies, music, TV shows, assorted bands, and the like. Isn't that what you realize? Jesus. Uh, listen, I'm gonna go to my mother's house, okay? I just can't deal with this anymore. I'm taking the, I'm, I'm taking the kids and I'm going oh, to my mother's. I'm taking the kids and I'm going to my mother's. Really, anything you said while I was a wolf man, I missed it. We're starting, this is really kind of an elevator pitch for like Mrs. Doubtfire to Mrs. Doubtfire is also a werewolf. Yeah, and um, werewolves aren't the only thing transforming in this podcast. Uh, We're transforming this podcast into a Halloween one. We're going to revive a tradition that that doesn't seem to exist any longer. The tradition of the October Halloween mixtape. Okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah. I'm I'm yeah. following. I like it. We're gonna we're gonna make a, a mixtape of Jack White and Jack White related tunes, and and we can't just go on Halloween because there'd just be too much, Paul. There would, there would just be too much to do. So we're gonna focus us in on two topics in particular. One, Frankenstein. Okay. And two, the Wolfman. I see. That that makes a little more sense now, All right? <laughs> uh, let let's say we get this mixtape started, shall we? Let's pop that cassette right in that tape player. Before we get started, okay. I would just like to say a hearty thank you to everyone who helped participate in our 52nd episode, one year anniversary spectacular. That was fantastic. You were all great, and I know we've talked about doing a year's worth of episodes till we're blue in the face, and you don't want to hear it anymore. But we were very happy with that, and for everyone who participated, that was really fantastic. So thank you very much. From the depths of Frankenstein's very visible heart, thank you. But before we get to all that, Paul, James, is there something we should stop doing? Uh, we should stop breaking now. now. Stop breaking down. Stop breaking down. Uh, Stop Breaking Down is the place in the show where we apologize for getting something wrong. Blood isn't the only thing we suck at. It's also information. (laughs) And what would a Stop Breaking Down be if not for the contributions of Callie Durga, our third woman in spirit every week. Callie here has something in response to our Best of Trilogy episode here that we had uh, inflicted upon you all this past go-around. This one is in relation to episode 54, which was the best of rag and bone. We have this character we do sometimes. Uh, let me tell you, it's pretty funny. Uh, where we have uh, Jack White call out to Ben Swank to uh, to do various things for him and, and take memos. And we find it particularly amusing. Although, it is worth pointing out, as Callie Durga says, it's well past time she straightened us out on one very important detail. It's uh, it's not Swank who handles memos for Jack. It's Lalo, their tour manager. Oh, so really Jack should have been shouting at Lalo to take a memo. And I think in our fiction this entire time he has been and he's just been calling him Swank as a power move. <laughs> 
It's like it's like a dictator who like uh, you know forces everyone to be called like Frederick or something. Well, I don't know any dictators, but I assume <laughs> if I were a dictator, I would call everyone by the same name to put them all on equal footing, so no one got any ideas about individuality. Well, Paul, I'm glad to see that you've been thinking long and hard about what you'd do as a dictator, and I'm glad to think that you uh, put Jack White on that level as well. So uh, for that, we could be proud, and I hope you aim your nuclear warheads away from Nashville. Thank you. I will, and that's been a stop break at all. It's been a stop break All right, James. Uh, So we're going to zip right into our first topic, the first song on this mixtape centered around Frankenstein in inside A uh-huh. is going to be Conan O'Brien's and they call me mad I will call you uh, Benjamin yes Benjamin uh, not a threatening name you will attack them you have the strength of 30 men you'll kill all of them Benjamin uh, 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 I'll call you Benny. Yes, 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 that's better. Benny. So anyway, Benny, what I want you to do is there's these people outside the castle with pitchforks. You'll see them, and they're yelling about Frankenstein and such. Just go out there and rip their heads off, would you? And make this sound. That will frighten them. No, no, I understand. You're you're actually quite verbal. (laughs) Well read. But just make that sound. Last time you went out and you said, excuse me, gentlemen, it's time to rip your heads off, and it didn't have the same effect. Okay, yes. Yeah. In early 2010, Uh Conan O'Brien started going on his legally prohibited tour, which was when he was let go, I'll just say, from The Tonight Show. Yes. uh, Under some not-so-nice circumstances, and he went on tour playing music, doing comedy. Basically, it was a Conan show without being a TV show because he wasn't allowed right. to do a TV show for a certain amount of time, so he decided to instead do a live show. Right, and the end of that Tonight Show run is something we just freshly got some new insight on when they uh, Third Man Records released that awesome animation of Conan telling the story of the White Stripes mm-hmm. being the ones that closed Conan's show. Which, by the way, if you haven't seen, you should definitely check out for nothing, for no other reason than, spoiler alert, when Conan approached Jack and Meg rehearsing for that, he caught Jack teaching Meg how to make a G chord, which is <laughs> incredible. Anyway, sorry, James, continue. It's very good. I was very happy to hear that. So while Conan was touring around, he was set to play at Bonnaroo. Mm. Third Man Records got wind of this and decided to give Conan a call to see if he'd want to come in and do a show at, at Third Man and maybe do a couple records. Uh, Conan being good friends with Jack White, he, of course, said yes and basically was just willing to do whatever they wanted. So they would play the live show and afterwards Conan would would do another piece of audio for Third Man, specifically for their Green series. He was going to do an interview with Jack White for a 7-inch that they would put out. Uh-huh. And the Green series as we know is different than the Blue series. It's it's more spoken word interviews, people uh telling stories, that sort of stuff. So not not really music but more vocal. And this would be the second in the Green series. So th- so they stepped into the recording booth, and according to Team Coco, they went in with Jack to re- record a super-secret spoken word record as well. The session was completely private. No one knew what kind of mad genius science happened behind those closed doors. <laughs> and what happened behind those closed doors is before the interview, Conan was testing the mic to make sure it worked. 
And while testing the mic, he decided to do an improvised modern take on the Frankenstein story. Okay, yeah. They would just let Conan do it, let it ride, and it would become the A-side, which was what they called, and you call me mad. And they call me mad? Oh, sorry, and they call me mad. Yeah, so uh, here's a good description via Pitchfork. The comedian plays a conniving, latte-sipping, web-surfing Dr. Frankenstein. (laughs) Conan does his best Vincent Price impression while sicking one of his creations at a Pitchfork-wielding mob. It's basically Dr. Frankenstein telling Frankenstein's monster to go to the the awful mob that is built up around outside. Uh Frankenstein's monster is no stranger to conan i was just gonna say it was a character on his show for quite a while right yes on his late night show it was a recurring segment called frankenstein wastes a minute of our time for a while now we've been doing a segment on our program called uh, frankenstein wastes a minute of our time (laughs) and in this segment yeah in this segment in this segment, uh, Frankenstein comes out here, acts as if he has something really cool to show us. He's very excited, but he always ends up showing us something trivial and stupid that's a complete waste of time and not at all exciting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Funny story. I, uh, I, I saw a Conan taping in New York, not for The Tonight Show, but for his show prior to that. It was, was it The Late Show or The Late Late Show, whatever it was. And, and I saw one of those segments live, and it was awesome. But yeah, I, I have a, uh, a very fond memory of that character for that reason. That's awesome. Yeah. I was on an episode. I don't remember what episode it was but it was 2004 i'm a big fan of conan's stuff i think he's really really funny and the frankenstein character amongst other characters on that show is always excellent much better than the masturbating bear that was another reoccurring character (laughs) (laughs) so uh the the record's audio actually premiered on august 23rd on the raw dog show on sirius xm conan o'brien you heard of him he's like it's like an open micer or something well he slipped in to Third Man Records, knocked out some live tracks, did an improv spoken word about Frankenstein, and everyone that's listening right now is going to have the pleasure of getting to hear this a day before everybody else. But the album release was the 24th of August in 2010. The record premiered along with Ben Swank talking about the record, and uh, he goes over a little bit of it here. And uh, a brand new friend we just made from Third Man Records. His name is Ben Swank, and he was the drummer of this band you're listening to right now, the Soul Dad Brothers. Love those guys. Ben, welcome to the show. How you doing? Uh, thanks, Mark. Doing good. Ben Swank actually talks about it for like eight minutes with this guy. I mean, there was no complications at all. He was like the most laid-back guy in the world. He just came in um, and just hung out all day and just had fun, played guitar, sat on everybody's laps, which was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> was that a personal <laughs> request? I don't know. It was a bit That's... of frittage or something. It was a bit creepy. That's funny. <laughs> So the record was was released uh, as a 33 and a third RPM, which is kind of different for their 7 inches. 33 and a third is usually the speed reserved for uh, 12-inch actual vinyl albums, uh, which it's not unheard of to put on a 7-inch. I mean, I think I have one or two that are like that, but it would mainly be used if you were trying to uh, maximize your space. Yeah, to fit a lot more material, you can go at that speed. 45 is a better audio quality but you get less information they put out along with the regular black vinyl they put out a 150 tricolored limited editions of the single 100 of the copies were sold for 100 bucks a piece at third man's nashville shop on the 24th with the proceeds benefiting retune nashville which was an organization raising money to replace instruments damaged in uh, nashville's flood earlier in 2010 and then another 50 were randomly inserted into mail orders Ah. for the 
a seven inch interesting to just go over the rest of the the album uh track a2 which is it called untitled it's a hidden track pressed on the a-side label uh-huh. with an under label groove it contains conan doing a reading of edgar Allan poe's the fall of the house of usher oh and then side b is conan being interviewed by jack white which is a really cool in-depth look into their friendship and stuff it's it's a fun single if you never heard it did this predate or post-date sea of cowards I think Sea of Cowards came out in May, I want to say. Uh, the, the question there being... May, you're right. Um, yeah. May 22. I think... I think uh, wow. See? I did learn something from this podcast. <laughs> the question there being, I think the first recorded instance we have of a under-the-sticker bonus track on a Jack album, and please uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, was the Sea of Cowards album where you can hear mile markers uh, on an under the label track and so if this one comes before it i wonder uh was this the testing ground for that sort of thing uh well it came after it well never mind then yeah it was august instead of may so he was freshly yeah like he had just used this trick and yeah he was using it again kind of thing yes the uh the album design was by miles johnson it was mixed by vance powell and it was recorded by josh smith who we should all know. The Grammy Award-winning Joshua V. Smith, yes. Yes. And from there, we're going to move on to track two. Track two. On side A. Side A. In, into it. The song is Right on Frankenstein by Death From Above 1979. knowledge of this james <laughs> educate me so death from above 1979 is a canadian rock duo of jesse keeler and sebastian granger i know that last name like hermione granger no keeler oh <laughs> no relation or relation i don't i don't think so they're this is a torontoite but i guess there could be i feel like patrick keeler is more of a man of the world so his family could be anywhere callie let us know They disbanded their group in the mid-2000s and then came back again in 2016 with an album called The Physical World. Uh The song Right on Frankenstein was on The Physical World. It it debuted live, actually, at the Troubadour in L.A. at a concert. They debuted that song live. Oh, that's a place where I saw Margot Price and uh, Pokey Lafarge. That's right. And the Jack White connection here is that Death From Above 1979 played a show that was recorded direct to acetate at Third Man Records in Nashville. Ah. And in their live set, they included Right On Frankenstein. That's very cool. I had no idea. I think I remember seeing something about that, but I never listened to it. Yeah, a lot of their fans were, were really stoked, I could tell, on the uh, on the White Stripes forums and stuff that we're a part of. The band, in a press release, said that uh, when they were asked to record live at Third Man Records, they agreed without hesitation. They said, if there is one person who knows about feeling the moment, it's Jack White. He's the patron saint of vibes. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I'd say that's accurate. And they also say, 
Oh yeah, Mick Jagger was there. Did we mention that we went out to dinner with Jack and Mick after the what? and then went bowling until three a.m.? So this is the what? Mick Jagger bowling thing. What? They also continue. It's also worth noting that Jack got the highest score, followed by Sebastian. <laughs> of course, Mick and Jesse tied. Yeah. Well, as we learned in our Under Great White Northern Lights trilogy, Jack is an, an accomplished bowler. He's a bowlsman. He's a bowlsman. And uh, not only has he bowled with uh, Mick Jagger, apparently, but uh, also Bob Dylan, who has his own bowling ball in Jack's private alley. That's fantastic. So the, the Live at Third Man album was released April 22nd, 2016. And that's track two, Paul. I am feeling this, James. I'm feeling it. You want to continue on to track three on side A? Hell yeah. The next song is going to be King Tuff's Keep On Moving. I don't know any of the... What is that? <laughs> Tell me all about it, James. I want to know. Uh, King Tough is a musical project and alter ego of one Kyle Thomas, a friend and contributor with Bobby Harlow. You'll remember Bobby Harlow being a member of The Go. Okay, there we go. Yes. Uh, and the song Keep On Moving, the reason we're talking about it, uh, we, we just played a li- the reason right here, but the lyrics, you do the Frankenstein... That's why you look so fine. Ah, James, so, I can't believe you found this many Frankenstein references in relation to Third Man Records. And there's more. This this song, Keep On Moving, was released on the eponymous King Tough album entitled King Tough, released mm. in 2012 by Sub Pop Records. Sub Pop, you'll mm. also know, released the Go's first album, What You Doing, and also released some White Stripes material. Right. Uh, and, and we should note the Go's number one fan would, of course, be mungo jerry yes and we should just we should just make sure the people are aware that mungo jerry really approves of not only the go but of the vape juice that i assume accompanies the various members of the go on tour i feel like mungo jerry is the embodiment of some sort of wolfman yeah yeah he's, he's very hairy vibe yeah it's the he's, the he's a hairy chops. i saw a mongo with a chinese menu in his hand and his hair was perfect ah, mongo loves vape juice <laughs> uh, anyway that was sort of half-baked anyway continue james sorry but we're not on Wolfman right now, Paul. We're on Frankenstein. Right. So the song was produced by Bobby Harlow of The Go, as well as the song featured Bobby Harlow and John Krautner ah. in the background. So it, it features the two founding members of The Go. If that wasn't enough, third man connection to this song that mentions Frankenstein, Paul. Yeah, no, we're with, we're with you, James. We're following. It was, yeah. it was also played live direct to acetate at third man records what while recording a live series for the third man in 2013 wow that is crazy so it was recorded on friday july 13th on friday the 13th paul in Ah. 2012 in the blue room Mm -hmm. as a part of the rock and roll lunch at third man okay it's also worth noting that josh gillis jack's brother assisted in in the recording of this and on a weird side note, I just found it funny that the Matrix on the album, where they always inscribe something at Third Man, side A said ding dong, and side B said the mix is dead. 
<laughs> uh, first of all, that's amazing. Second of all, obviously, I know what, uh, when you say The Matrix on the album, obviously, I know what that is. The Matrix is a system, Neil. That system is our enemy. Sorry. I am not a pedestrian. For those pedestrians out there. I guess I am technically a pedestrian, but that obviously, listen, I know. But let's like for the people who don't. You know, on the um, inner circle right after the music on the record, there's that little blank yeah. spot. That's mm. that's where they would write stuff. Uh, of course. Yeah. The no, I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have known the term Matrix if Discogs didn't tell me. And, Paul, I just want you to, to realize how weird this guy is. Here's a, a good measuring stick for the weirdness of, of this, this Kyle fella. Uh, when describing this particular song's music video that they released, uh-huh. he says to Rolling Stone, The video is a slow-mo cinematic gang painting that expresses the freedom of the dance, the ancient magic that happens when you point a camera at cretins. <laughs> Oh, I love it. He sounds like Pujol level crazy. So we're going to move on from Mr. Tough into our last song on side A. Can I just, can I really quickly say if I would be so happy if you found an Edgar Winter connection and you're about to say Frankenstein, but I I just, I wish, I wish, I wish. Damn it. Did Jack ever use a keytar? Maybe we can tie that in or something. The last song is Johnny Legend's House of Frankenstein. Now all you kids gather round Cause at this house there is something special going down Well there's a knockdown cat by the name of Frankenstein He's got a great big house and his frame is six foot nine Again, I don't know this. Just, uh, James, you're educating me. There's a good reason you don't know House of Frankenstein by one Johnny Legend. It was a song released in 1990 Uh by rockabilly star Johnny Legend on the Sympathy for the Record Industry label. Ah, there you go. Long Gone John's record label, who he signed uh, young Mr. Jack White and a young Ms. Meg White, too, and... 1998, I want to say. That's right. And this is a a really early album on the Sympathy label. This has only been two years since it was started. You're talking like the 80s, right? Yeah, Yeah. 88. And and so this is a really early Sympathy record. There's really no other Jack White connection other than that it's on the Sympathy for the Record Industry label. And it was put out by Long Gone John. He he doesn't appear on it or anything. There's no other weird appearances that are connected. But I really wanted to talk about this guy, Johnny Legend, because, oh my God... Okay, I'm into it already. So let's start with House of Frankenstein first and foremost. It was released in a 7-inch green translucent vinyl in 1990. He's a well-known rockabilly singer. Uh He participated in such bands as Johnny Legend and his Rockabilly Bastards (laughs) and Johnny Legend and his Skullcaps. Love it. He was born Martin Margulies. 
Yeah. Grab him by the ghoulies. Martin Marguli. His nickname is the Rockabilly Rasputin. And okay. boy, howdy, does this guy look like it. He's got a long beard. Oh my God, this guy looks like Father Time and he's wearing a marijuana t-shirt. And his Google image search results pair him right next to a young Mr. John Legend who is singing very soulfully. <laughs> yes, that was a problem with researching this guy was that I kept getting John Legend results. Yeah, it's a real potpourri of images of a, an, an old gangly man wearing what looks like a union soldier cap with this impossibly long beard holding skulls and stuff and then the smiling face of young mr john legend (laughs) who's just delighting teens and adults alike he's married to linda lautrec and they produced a movie together with andy kaufman whoa called my breakfast with blasi andy kaufman would then go on to date his sister for a long time andy kaufman uh, for those of you don't know is a very famous comedian he was huge success he was on taxi also but he was he was well known for being very avant-garde yeah an arty comedian kind of ahead of his time who got commercial success on taxi but who went on to abuse people and confuse people (laughs) in the funniest ways imaginable until his premature death in in the 80s of which there's a wonderful uh biopic uh, starring jim carrey which apparently he got so deep into character he wouldn't break it (laughs) uh even in public I found out and oh I found God. I think I heard that they were doing a biopic about that biopic. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. The The biopic yeah. is called Man on the Moon and he would actually go on to star in a lot of films, a lot of films that some of them I put film in very loose quotations <laughs> um, because most of them are probably porn. Oh, God. So let's let's go over his filmography, no. shall we? Let's not, maybe. Maybe we don't talk about that. So 1969, he stars in The Secret Sex Lives of Romeo and Juliet. I can hear the squishing noises already. He'd then wait a few years. 1972, yeah. he would star in The Cat Ate the Parakeet, a.k.a. Pot, Parents, and Police. Okay, love it. Into it. 1975, he would star in Sexual Sensory Perception. All right. 1977, he would star in Young, Hot, and Tasty Teenage Cruisers. These are not just maybe porn titles. (laughs) These are for sure 1,000% porn titles. You realize this? Now, here's where things get confusing, because this might be, it might not be. Um, I'm already confused. 1977, he stars in Phantasm Comes Again. Oh, the ectoplasm. (laughs) He waited six more years, and he would go on to play with Andy Kaufman in 1983, My Breakfast with Blasi. 1988, he would be in a movie called Prison Ship. Sure. 1990, he would be in the sequel to the movie The Reanimator called The Bride of Reanimator. Oh, I know the I know Reanimator and The Bride of Reanimator. Yeah. She's just an assembly of dead tissue. H.P. Lovecraft's Reanimator 2. <laughs> He was a corpse. A former guest on the podcast, Vin Turturro, was a big reanimator fan and made me watch those. Interesting. 1992, he would be cast in Severed Ties. 1995, (laughs) Paul, he'd be cast in Children of the Corn 3. Whoa! Do you want to, can you guess what his role was in Children of the Corn 3? An old nasty farmer. Kind of. He was derelict man. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> 1998, he would be cast in the movie Bug Buster. Do you want to guess what his role is in Bug Buster? David Arquette's uh, trailer manager. Wow, very close. He was trailer park trash. Okay. <laughs> and in 1999, Paul, he was cast in Man on the Moon, the biopic 
about Andy Kaufman. And he played himself? He played wild-haired guru. Couldn't even play himself in the biopic that had him in it. Okay, yeah. interesting. Wow. Not only did he do these movies, he also created what he called Incredibly Strange Wrestling, also known as ISW, a San Francisco-based professional wrestling promotion heavily influenced by masked Mexican wrestling or lucha libre. The event combined wrestling matches with performances by punk, rockabilly, garage, psychobilly, and thrash metal bands. Oh my god. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and that is the legend of Johnny Legend. Oh, I'm very happy to hear the legend of Johnny Legend, James. Thank you. You want to flip this cassette tape over and move on to side B? Yeah, we're in the age of cassette tapes now again, apparently. Thank you, Jack, you <laughs> weirdo. And, uh, let, let's, uh, and you know what's funny? Just to get on a very, very brief tangent, I had just listened to the Rag and Bone where we were talking about cassette tapes, mm-hmm. and the next day, Jack announces the first three White Stripes albums coming out on cassette, and I was like, what are the odds? And we just tore into it, by the way. We had just completely tore into that whole notion. I almost went to get them and i'm like what am i doing no i don't well i'm gonna go because i gotta go pick up the courtney barnett album and there's also a, an initiative where you can become an official saint vincent ambassador at select record city oh uh, record stores across the country and all you have to do is sign up and then you could get some exclusive shit. but anyway sorry go ahead james side two we're straying away from frankenstein we're taking those electrodes away and we're yeah. Putting that full moon in the air, because this is all werewolves all the time. Yeah, love it. So our first song is actually going to be a raconteur song, Paul, entitled Yellow Sun. Okay, all right, this is one I know. <clears throat> this is one you've heard of. I'd really like to tell you, but I feel it's too soon. The reason we're talking about Yellow Sun is not because it's actually about werewolves, but there is a lot of speculation that it's about werewolves in the fan community. <laughs> Everybody knows Of course it's there is. Yeah. In fact, I think we touched on this. Brief, yeah, we, we did yeah. touch on it. Yeah, I think that was episodes 34 and 35 of the podcast, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. The reason why people think that it is about werewolves, or perhaps vampires, but for this instance we're going with werewolves, is the, the lyrics, uh, actions are dictated by the phase of the moon. Mm. Also, the only thing that's left for me is the rising sun. Yeah. Also, you're making me hungry. You're making me hungry. But what's really funny is it's not sunny anymore. So he's obviously hungry in the nighttime. Right, right, right. This is all coming back to me now, actually. Yeah, it definitely was vampires. I think it's about Lady Friend, but I think people are reading way too literally into it, which is exactly what I'd like to do. This is a song about werewolves and vampires and... I'm game. Yeah, just looking briefly back over my notes from episode 34, I have uh, exactly no things written for that song. So it's really hard <laughs> to find find information on this one alone, although I think we agreed at the time that it is likely a Brendan Benson 
scrap that he dusted off for this one. Yeah. Uh, well, since you have those notes open, do you want to just give us some information about what album this is on, Paul? Yeah, sure. Well, this is uh, from the Raconteur's debut album, Broken Boys Soldiers, and it was released on May 15th, 2006 in the UK and uh, in the US on the 16th and then the 12th in Germany. So Germany got the exclusive on that one, uh, featuring cover photography by Autumn DeWild. And this was easily the, the Raconteur's biggest hit record. In fact, it contains Jack White's easily in the top two biggest songs of his career with uh, Steady As She Goes. Right, yeah, and it's a great song. It's a fun little Brendan ditty, and if you think about it as werewolves, it's a great Halloween mixtape edition. And a great way to kick off this one, James. Love it. The next song, we're going to move right on to track two, is The Wolf by The Wolfman Band. Man, uh, we're back to me nabbing no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. Hit me. The Wolfman Band, for yeah. you and those of you who don't know, is a uh, a band started by Dave Buick and Dion Fisher. I know Dave Buick, founder of Italy Records yep. and oft collaborator with Mr. Jack White. And a previous member of The Go who left at the same time as Jack White. Who left in solidarity with Jack, From right? From what we hear, yeah. So this is their, their brainchild. It's a group of punk, garage, indie rock. It's, a, it's a all over the map, mm-hmm. but uh, they focus on werewolf and wolf themes so all of them wear wolf masks (laughs) and they all sing wolf-based covers of songs including oh that's awesome seven wolf army (laughs) she's a wolf tv wolf yeah i couldn't find audio of seven wolf army which is why this is not the song for this mixtape but instead i chose the wolf which is a very wolfman based song the members according to their facebook group this group is super secretive Uh, they I think they just want to be a, like a Detroit thing, like a live thing. There's not a lot of information mm-hmm. out there aside from that it's Dave Buick and, and Dion Fisher. Dion Fisher, by the way, right. the uh, owner of the UFO Factory, a very famous venue in Detroit that was recently shut down, but they're going to be reopening soon. Cool. So um, according to their Facebook page, which uh, doesn't have many posts or much information, the members are One Wolf, War Wolf, Phil Moon, Thurston Howell III, <laughs> ah! Billy Howladay, Fangus Young, Folk Wolf, <laughs> and Alex Van Howling. According to oh Facebook, their story is uh, the story of the band is the moon with three exclamations. <laughs> That's awesome. Our friend of the show, Jarrett Jet Coral of Jet Plastic Recordings, saw them live uh, playing with uh, Red Cross and The Go. Wow. In 2013, uh, which is where this song is recorded from, recorded at the UFO factory. Jarrett writes about it in his blog. The Wolfman Band, the brainchild of Italy Records owner David Buick and UFO Factory slash Infinite People main man Dion Fisher, performing cover songs redone to include wolf phrases. Among the best were TV Wolf and She's a Wolf. 
Interesting. Also, that's not their only connection to Third Man. They're actually opening up the Third Man Records cast corridor New York Night Train Haunted Hop Halloween Tour. Okay. Hopefully some of you guys will be able to go there. It is going to be October 26th at the cast corridor of this year. Uh, If you guys want to go, the tickets are $15. I encourage you all to go and come back with stories of the Wolfman Band. Wow. Nice. Yes, please, please do, and we'll uh, we'll read them on the show. I because I at this point I just I'm dying to know. Yeah. So Paul, that's that's the Wolfman Band. Let's move on to track three. Track three. Track three is going to be rolling in on a burning tire by the Dead Weather. The moon is always full for us. The road is always clear. That's not what you want to hear. One is born, so one can die You must wait a real long time That's more you can bear And the days will come and go And the band will march along Till the day you cast a shadow And there's nothing left This is one I know. Yes. I know this, and I think I know the connection here. Go on. It is because this one was on the the Twilight soundtrack, which features werewolves in addition to vampires. I want to say Taylor Lautner is a member of a uh, Inuit or Native American werewolf tribe in Forks, Washington. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's it's sounding a little bit like I am a uh, Twilight super fan, but I am not. I happen to have just watched every single one of those movies because my wife and I stayed in Forks, Washington in a Twilight-themed hotel of which the only available entertainment were VHS copies of every Twilight film. Well, Paul, you don't have to make excuses. We all know how much you love the <laughs> Twilight fandom and movies. Rolling in on a burning yeah. tire was uh, used on the Twilight Eclipse soundtrack, <laughs> Paul. You are correct, and that is the, the werewolf connection there, or at least part of it. By the way, in Forks, they have the in the area where the werewolves are supposed to show up, there's a gas station, which it's half gas station, half restaurant slash tourist attraction about the fake werewolf tribe that lives there. And so when you walk in there, you can get your gas and also eat nasty gas station, Bob's Big Boy style food, whilst staring at memorabilia connected to the fake werewolves that live there, all of which is amazing. And and uh, if you've never been to Forks, Washington, I mean, I guess you could go there, uh, but it is kind of interesting for the kitsch factor alone. Sorry, continue, James. No, that's fine. Fans of our show will, will know that we talked about this song with the Jack White Hub co-creator. Clara Ann Taylor. Clara Taylor, yeah. Yeah, uh, so we talked about it with her. It was really early on in, yeah. the, in the run. And Clara, by the way, uh, the Jack White Hub is pretty cool, and she just started an Allison Mosshart Hub, oh, nice. which is similar to the Jack White Hub on uh, on Twitter, so you should go and check those out, and uh, and thanks, Clara, for allowing us the promotion uh, on, on your pages. Yeah. Uh, we really appreciate it. Definitely. Go check out the Jack White Hub if you get a chance. So rolling in on a burning tire uh, not only has the, the werewolf connection with the Twilight 
werewolves. It also has connection in, in the lyrics themselves. The moon is always full for us. The road is always clear. That's not what you want to hear. So it is the, the chorus actually has a full moon mm. involved in it. A werewolf aficionado would realize that full moons are the... The catalyst, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and Paul, we're going to move right along to our last song. Our last one. Our, our weirdest stretched connection to werewolves. For track four. I'm on bated breath here. Ball and Biscuit by the White Stripes. I'm the seventh son And right now you could care less about me But soon enough you will care by the time I'm done Let's have a ball and a biscuit, sugar And take our sweet little time about it Oh, this one, I'm dying to know what the werewolf connection is, but shoot. This one is as stretched as I could stretch it. It's barely connected to werewolves, Paul, and it's not. It, one would argue <laughs> it's not, but this is uh, okay. it's a Halloween mixtape, and you know what? You, you, you stretch a little bit sometimes because there's not a lot of Halloween music out there. So Ball and a Biscuit has a lyric that Jack White says he is, in fact, the seventh son. Mm -hmm. Seventh son happens to be entrenched in some werewolf folklore, Paul. Okay. The seventh son of the seventh son in some Latin American cultures is believed to be a lobezon or lobezomen. Yeah, I'm... Lobezomen. Yeah, no, you're pronouncing that right. Which is the Portuguese word for werewolf. And according to (laughs) Wikipedia, of the seventh son of the seventh son, Uh to stop the curse... The newborn should be baptized in seven different churches or be baptized by the name of Benito while the (laughs) eldest son is his godfather. It is important to note that the local myth of the Lobazon is not connected to the custom that began over 100 years ago by which every seventh son or seventh daughter born in Argentina becomes godchild to the president. Thanks, Wikipedia. I'm spellbound. I'm spellbound, James. Well, that, Paul, <laughs> is, the, is the tenuous connection and the tenuous end to that mixtape. Oh, James, I love this. I can't believe you pulled that together. And, Paul, before we get to the end, you know, werewolves, when they're eating their oh, Jesus. prospective victims, huh. when they're eating their victims, uh-huh. they tend to rip flesh from the bone. They just, they rip flesh from the bone. Right. Or the, when they're changing, right they tend it. to... Yeah. To pull off their clothes right. into tattered, into tattered. Pull them right uh, off. Yeah, rags. Take them off. It, it, it kind of like Frankenstein. They would cover him in rags. And Paul, that's this week's Halloween rag and bone. <laughs> it's a rag and bone. Rag and bone. Rag and bone. Rag and bone. For those of you who haven't listened to episode fifty-four, <laughs> the old rag and bone spectacular. Rag and bone is when we find something weird and put it in our weird podcast. So tell me this week, James, what do we got? Paul, this week is Jack White and Scooby Doo. No. I No, it's not. <laughs> While researching werewolves and Jack White, I came across an animator by the name of Jack White. Okay. An animator, model designer, storyboard artist who worked for Hanna-Barbera and Deke, and uh, he also worked on an episode of Scooby-Doo entitled Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf. What are the odds? 
astronomical. Uh, I'll, let me just give you a brief synopsis of Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf. I would we'll be, get back to our show I here. would be upset with you if you didn't. As you know, every year, all the classic Hollywood monsters, such as Frankenstein's monster, the mummy, and Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, all gather at Count Jackville's castle in Transylvania right. for the Monster Road Rally. You know about this, Paul, Yeah, right? no, I've, I've, yeah. Well, fans, the monster cars are rolling again, and the action is getting very rough. I've, I've listened to TED Talks before. I know what this is about, yeah. It's the ultimate road race awarding the winner the Monster of the Year Award, as well as many other prizes monsters would enjoy, including a trip to Hawaii that none of the monsters want. Okay. Well, this year, however, Dracula receives a postcard from the Wolfman. Mm. And he's stating that he has retired to Florida. Ah, how dare he retire just before the Monster Road Rally? And he will not be participating <laughs> in this year's Monster Road Rally. Okay. Lacking one of the most well-known monsters, Dracula fears that they will have to cancel the race. Uh, but luckily, Dracula's minion, Wolfgang, notifies him that there's another option, Paul. Okay, what's that other option? To create a new werewolf. Of course. Yeah. Let's do it. Gotta do it. So they searched through an old book for information on whom is next in line to become the next werewolf. And it was Jason Bateman. It is revealed that it is none other than Shaggy Rogers. That's his name? His last name is Rogers. Oh my God. That's, that's far out. His last name's Rogers. Yeah. Zoinks. I never knew or, that. Or Shaggy, as Dracula pronounces it. Uh-huh. Dracula then sends his horrible henchman, the mush-mouthed, incomprehensible Crunch and the English-accented Brunch, together known as the Hunch Bunch. Right. Since both of them are hunchbacked, Paul. Why wouldn't they be? He sends them to America to transform Shaggy into a werewolf and bring him back to the castle in Transylvania. Paul, Shaggy is involved in this road rally. <laughs> He's a werewolf. They turn him into a werewolf. Well, Scooby-Doo uh... is already, like, mostly a wolf anyway, so... They might they might get along better that way. I mean, Scrappy's there, too. Scrappy is there. Yeah, so that's... Uh, Jack White was involved in this. He <laughs> Jack White played a large part. <laughs> Sadly, it wasn't the Jack White I was hoping. It was it was Jack White, an animator. Hey, Swank, you know how to operate Maya? I'm trying to animate a stoner who has turned it into a werewolf, Swank. Hey, hey Swank, the storyboards clearly say that... Shaggy turns into a werewolf. I need Maya to do that. I need the powers of the Mayan people to bring me their transformative software to make Shaggy into a werewolf. Uh, Swank, I need you to bring me my reel-to-reel film projector and a copy of Reefer Madness. I'm going to be animating some Scooby-Doo, Swank. That's this week's Ragged And I think we're going to kick it to our third band for this week. What do you say? We would like to welcome our third band for this week. We're here with After the Money is Gone's very own Tobias and Julia. Tobias and Julia, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Paul and Jane. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You guys have the privilege of being a part of Jack White history, and we're glad to have you on here. You both are in the, the band, like Paul said, After the Money is Gone, or at MIG. We love the music. We're really into it. And uh, even though technology has failed us at every corner today, uh, we are here. We have persevered. We've pushed through Jim Morrison style to the other side. 
and uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, about Detroit and Jack White and all that good stuff. But first, so you both Detroit natives, essentially. Tobias, I know you lived there all of your life, and Julia, you lived there most of your life. Can you talk to us a little bit about Detroit and how you've seen it grow a little bit over the years, and where the Detroit music scene really fits into that, and how it's evolved? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so when we were growing up, Detroit was not really that desirable of a place to go hang out. A lot of crime, a lot of poverty. Um, it hasn't been until recently, in the last five or ten years, that we've seen this renaissance of renewal within yeah. the city. A lot of people have come in, they've invested, they've um, uh, built interesting places to go to, such as Third Man and the Cass Corridor which was not a very nice place up until a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But now it's booming, and it's uh, kind of a destination. Yeah, it definitely is. Me and Paul are trying to work our way up there, which we probably would have tried to make our way to Detroit anyway because of all of the history that goes on there musically and artistically and culturally. But it wouldn't have been our first place to go probably until recently because, like you said, it, it is on an upswing. There's three places in the United States that the butt of every joke, Florida, New Jersey, which I'm in right now, and Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> you understand. Oh, yeah, except New, New Jersey's not getting any better and Detroit is... <laughs> Yeah, the, to the outside world, you know, I mean, obviously we know the remnants of the auto industry and there's the various Michael Moore documentaries and films about keeping quiet or a serial killer will murder you um, as you try and break into his house. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously being there now and experiencing it, what would you say has been the most dramatic change in, say, the past decade or so with Detroit? There's a substantial amount of retail development mm-hmm. downtown. And, you know, frankly, Dan Gilbert and Bedrock Real Estate did a great deal to invigorate industry, restaurants, places to shop, and a lot of people living there, frankly, Mm -hmm. moving there, staying there. When you drive downtown, you see occupied buildings. Mm -hmm. Which is not always the case. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. I mean, that's a start, I suppose. Yeah, you need some people. I mean, that's... That's kind of the thing, right? It's been this, the victim of like sort of these mass exoduses over the years. Exodi? I don't know how you could pluralize that. But James and I, obviously being from Jersey, I think we both sometimes feel when we're talking about Jersey, there's that certain level of understanding where we love it. There's a love in what we're saying, but there's also a deep and honest appreciation for the disaster that New Jersey is. Uh, And so when Jack speaks about Detroit, sometimes I sort of get that vibe, at least when he was growing up, because obviously he grew up not in a necessarily awesome part of town and things like that. And he tells, he tells a lot of stories, obviously uh, about uh, the bull. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. It's still not nice where he's from. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That hasn't quite gotten there yet, but maybe sometime soon. Yeah. What part of town would you say? He was from like... uh, Mexican town. Mexican town. Yeah, he's from Mexican town, which, yeah. I mean, I haven't been down there in the last year or two, but um, last time I was there, I mean, it's a great place to go, Mm -hmm. but... Uh, not at night. <laughs> <laughs> Certain places of Detroit that you know when it's safe to go and when it's not safe to go. Right. Yeah, yeah. I lived in Philly for five years. I, I I'm all about that. I I, I know those those scenarios quite well. Yeah. But I'm glad that it's on the upswing, at least, you know, at least it's it's starting to, to find its feet again. I know it was going through a lot of stuff. And I think 
Jack has something to do with that, with where he placed his store that was notorious for, you know, a lot of corruption and some shady mm-hmm. stuff. But now it's gorgeous and I do go down there. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's great. So speaking of Jack, the White Stripes obviously came to prominence on, I guess you'd call it the midst of a kind of blues rock sort of explosion uh, at the tail end of the 90s and then the very beginning of the 2000s. Were you both in Detroit for that scene, the gold dollar, things like that? Were you both there for that? And do you, if so, do you have any memories of that era of the city and what that music meant to people? I was not. I was in Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, yeah. But I, I heard some stories about the, the garage rock scene and uh, everyone knew who Jack was. <laughs> and I, I was actually in Miami in the techno scene at that time. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> but when I came back to Detroit a few years after that, and he was, they were starting to get established, kind of took to it. That's interesting, though, because techno is a, an export of Detroit, and yeah. so you, you went to, to the home base of that and then started an indie folk band, of all things. <laughs> Which, by the way, me and Paul were listening to a lot of the music beforehand, and it is incredible, which I know we'll get to in a minute. Yeah, I I mean, I I had a question. Were you guys into the White Stripes at that time? Like, when when did you first start discovering Jack's music? Admittedly, back when there were still some music video stations, I saw the first video release on MTV2 and um, learned of a lot of good bands that I still listen to to this day, like at the drive-in and doves and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I miss that channel. <laughs> that, was my, that was, that was my first exposure, uh, which was a lot had probably happened by then. Uh, but I, uh, that, that was my first taste. Which video do you remember? Was it the Lego one or, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, you know, Napoleon dynamite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to be friends. Yeah. We're going to be friends. <laughs> yeah. James and I have talked about that before on the show. Like, that wasn't a single, but it may as well have been because <laughs> so many people got exposed to that song through the opening credits of that movie. We've talked about it before on the show, but I was at a friend's house, like, I think it was my senior year of high school, and the movie was on, and I was watching it for the first time, and that started playing, and I was like, wow. It fit the film, but it just seemed strange coming out of the house of somebody who wasn't necessarily listening to Jack White stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's always interesting. I get the same feeling with Apple Blossom in uh, The Hateful Eight. Uh, whenever I hear that, it it doesn't fit coming out of some people's speakers. Like I'm like, you don't. Why would you? You don't listen to that. Um. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about how After the Money Is Gone got together and the origins of the band a little bit. I know that there was sort of an initial contact between Tobias and Otto in 2012, but how did the band evolve? So I've been working on material for longer than I care to admit and had a couple previous iterations of the band with uh, my material uh, and collaboratively as well. But uh, I had reached a point when I was ready to start up again and started with the member that's most difficult. Well, no, uh, a drummer had who I had played with previously moved back into town. That's, that's what triggered it. Mm-hmm. And so... I went to Craigslist to find a bass player and um, usually ran into talent that said, oh, how much are you paying? And that's a nice position to be in. I've never been in that one myself. <laughs> but, but I think I posted a listing and Otto Jensen 
his social security number is. <laughs> um, he responded, and, and I had gotten a little discouraged. So the first thing I shot back to him was, you do know this is unpaid. And he's like, oh, you can make money doing this? <laughs> Get it off from there. So he came in and auditioned for the drummer I was playing with and uh, the second guitar player I was playing with. And he came in with hair down his hips uh, from his chin. I thought he was going to start thrashing, but he uh, played right along with my uh, you know, indie folk rock, so to speak. And we auditioned another guy, too, and, and the joke was always that that guy had like a nice... He talked about his studio and all these things he had to offer. And I think Otto said, like, I have a van as, like, a retaliatory comment. Um, that's, that's not why we went with him. Yeah. Because, yeah. So a strange man you met on Craigslist lured you into his van. I get it. Yeah, absolutely. And he's still strange. Um doesn't have a van. Yeah, wanted a van. He wanted a bus for a while. Yeah, he had a bus for a while. Oh, okay. Yeah, he has. So this is the Otto show. If you're just tuning in now. Yeah. So played a little while with Otto and some other members, and the practice space was Otto's basement, and he ended up moving to an apartment. And uh, rehearsal space is pretty pretty important, and so we didn't play for two years because we couldn't find a place to play, Mm. and then. And then finally, uh, the beginning of 2016, after Otto had moved to Traverse City, I said, I'm I'm renting rehearsal space. I rented a space in Warren. The name escapes me at the moment, but very nice guy. And his first name was Ron. I said, I signed a lease for rehearsal space. I booked two shows. Let's just take it from there. And, and he said, well, I can get you a harmony singer. Remember my friend Julia at my going away party? I said, yes, I do. And he said, I can find you a drummer, which is someone he went to high school with. And he pretty much said, but I don't think I'm going to make the shows. <laughs> so, uh, he pretty you, much yeah. sent me in with this guy and abandoned me. <laughs> yeah, he, he met on Craigslist. Yeah, right. yeah, so he gave me my severance uh, in the form of two band members. And uh, Julia connected us with Phil. Yes. And uh, we played those two shows, and we kept moving uh, wow. from that moment. Yeah, that's fantastic. A- an incredibly uh, shady start to an incredible <laughs> to, to such a to such a uh, a pleasant it sounding musical experience. Yeah, it was all exactly as we played it. Yeah. <laughs> guys got this group now now you attended the third man pressing plant opening is that right definitely yes we did yeah that was a very cold morning 
Um, (laughs) We did not uh, camp out overnight like some people did, and God bless them. Uh Mm -hmm. But uh, we were out there for about three or four hours. That's a good long time, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. just for for a glimpse of it. And And it it did not disappoint. Yeah, we were sitting on our respective coasts watching video of it as it was happening, wishing we were there. It looked like such a fun time. And Jack was there, obviously, and everything. Did you guys bump into or do a little hobnobbing at all? Or Unfortunately, no. Yeah. He was at the party the night before, and we assumed he was in the building, but didn't see Probably him. sleeping in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fireplace. Yeah. So from there, did that plant the seeds of actually utilizing the third? Man Records pressing plant to press your first seven inch single trip, or was that something that you guys had already sort of gotten into motion or investigated afterwards? How did that come about? So, a couple things before that one was we won a contest for some free recording time. Oh, cool! The fall previous and had a couple tracks recorded, which turned out really well. Those are actually the recordings for Trip and Pale, which are recorded by a student, because that was kind of the, that was the gimmick. You get to record for free, and I get to teach a class, and, you, and you'll have a student in the studio, and they're both very talented stu- uh, students who did the recording. We had the owner, Tim Smith, do the mixing, hmm. and, and we ended up with these two really good recordings. Otto's friends, another shout out to Otto named Darren, who had just started his own video production company and we had him record some of our live performances and he had the idea of recording one of our rehearsals and I thought it would just be like shaky camera, backstage footage, whatever, and when he sent it to me, it was like a short film. Yeah. And so I've got these two songs and this individual who is extreme amount of talent so that sparked the idea of a music video and then as far as having the songs i wanted to do something with them and i think right around the time we attended the pressing plant opening i was shopping around for quotes for vinyl and just kind of assumed that third man wouldn't be open to the public but i did ask at the counter are you open to the public for pressing for people who are not on the label? And the answer we got was not yet. So we kind of thought it wasn't going to happen, but Julia subtly <laughs> insisted that I I try a little harder. So <laughs> I shot an email down to, I forget the guy's name in Nashville, he starts with an S, but I, I shot an email down there pretty much saying, hey, we'd really like to press with third band. Here's what we would pay for this many records, and these are the specifications. Basically copying an order form from another place. And, and the idea was I wanted to give them a prepackaged order 
where they didn't have to educate the person at all. Mm. Yeah. And so the result was we got a call from our email from Jessica, who was just hired to run the place, certain portions of it, saying, well, we don't have an order form, <laughs> but yeah, let's, you know, we'll do it. Um, so once they created the order form, I could resubmit the order. And that's how it came together. Another funny side story is pretty much when we were at the the, the end of the line, the beginning of the line, however, when just we were at the door. We, just before getting into... Yeah. Uh, pressing plant opening. There was someone uh, from the Free Press interviewing the crowd. Detroit Free Press. Yeah. It's a newspaper. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, meeting such an opportunist, I was listening very attentively to whether there would be an opportunity to get interviewed. And so the interviewer, who's an awesome guy who did the article, said, would anyone else like to go on the record? I shot my arm up here <laughs> and put it at Julia. <laughs> <laughs> very true <laughs> and uh he volunteered me for the interview and <laughs> talked to the guy and gave him a, a really nice little quote about jack white being the willy wonka of modern day music <laughs> and we got our names in the newspaper for that and kind of a nice little tie-in with third man that way nice. it, kind of, it kind of like bolstered our like yeah let's do this yeah. Make this happen. That's great. <laughs> the uh, sort of press wouldn't stop there when the singles were actually released. It looks like Huffington Post uh, reviewed it and stuff. So that was really yes. cool. It sounds like yeah. things are picking up a little bit. So what was the process like with actually pressing a seven inch record? Is there any insight you could share with us about how that process worked? Were they cool to work with? Were they, you know, how, how does that work? Yeah, they were totally cool. They, um, we got our test pressings. And once those were approved, they called us and said, hey, we're pressing them. Would you like to come down and watch your records being pressed? Wow, cool. Nice. For me, that was just like a beautiful moment of like, this is where our little babies are being born. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so they gave us a, a really fantastic private tour of the plants, which, you know, just weeks before that we were in line in the cold with hundreds of maybe thousands of other people right and here we are you know in the inner workings itself it was just a a, an intense beautiful moment and uh, did they have you wear the the dust masks and rubber gloves and stuff yeah (laughs) no hairnet yeah no they did not (laughs) They, they trusted us but yeah, every single person that we've worked with there or talked to just couldn't be more encouraging and welcoming. And they, um, when we first picked up the test pressing, we were talking to the girls that worked behind the counter, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we heard them sampling this, you know, quality control." And they said, "Oh, do you want to hear it?" And they took the test pressing and put it on the store sound system oh cool cool. i almost lost (laughs) wow to hear your music being played through jack white speakers yeah (laughs) wow like yeah it was was pretty amazing they go through the process a little bit with adam savage did a a video for tested online uh, where they go through the pressing plant and stuff. You want to know if anyone's interested, they want to know, well, how is that done? Well, what happens then? And then how do these presses work? And then this starts a whole conversation. So the best thing was when I was designing the plant was to try to focus on there being windows to the store right? and make the first record store where you could see records being pressed in the back. 
So it really makes that connection. Oh my God! Okay, okay, I see. This that's is where my that. things okay, come and that's from. This right. and I can take this home with me, and it was made right there. And they showed the quality control uh, person over there, and and it's it's like a a teen who's just sitting listening to the same record over and over and over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a uh, it's an interesting job. So here we are at a listening station. This is his job, just to listen to the same album over and over and over and over. Absolutely. Every press that's operating and making a record, he's communicating with them. They're handing off their product. He's bringing it over here and listening it front to back uh, and checking out anything that they may have noted or said, hey, can you listen for this? And Now, the moment we, our crew, saw that someone was here listening to, we all made the same joke, which is, I hope he likes the music. But yeah. seriously. Do you, have you run into a situation where the person with this job is like, I can't do this album, I need someone else to fill it? <laughs> um, sometimes um, after listening to the record for the, you know, the 20th or 30th time, and, you know, it, it could wear on you a little bit, but we do try to alternate a little bit so we don't have to listen to the same thing every time. Okay. But I'm sure that that person was thinking about your record nonstop for probably about a week. Which is a uh, the uh, did you guys know that you were going to be the first non third man records label artist to be pressed at the pressing plant when you were getting it pressed or did you find that out later? Found it out later. Uh, it was in an email from uh, Jessica saying, "By the way, you're the first. Wow! So I sent out four messages pretty quickly after that. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's fantastic. And and so. Yeah. And so you've got a full-length album on the way, Wishes, which is going to be released next year, and Third Man Pressing will also be pressing Wishes. Is that right? That's right. That's nice. fantastic. Yeah. We reached out to them a couple months ago to find out what the pricing would be, and we also reached out to uh, everyone who would participate in the creation of the product, all from Michigan. And we needed those numbers in order to know how much we needed to raise as part of our Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So is the Kickstarter ongoing? Oh, it's over, and we, uh, we, hit, our, we hit our target. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you. Who is the lucky person to get the Epiphone? It is still available for sale. On, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Nobody went that high. We, yeah. uh... we need a new music video, so <laughs> yeah. if anybody wants to buy that, yeah. contact us. It is an awesome Epiphone. Dominic Davis is a noted Epiphone lover, so if you love Dominic Davis... Purchase it from for him, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be a, a release party next year. Is that right? Um. Yeah. We don't have any of the details yet. Okay. We have three choices as to where we'd like to have the record release party held, and without question, one of those choices would be at, at Third Man itself. Uh, but we mm. haven't we haven't taken all the steps necessary to see who's available, who will have us, etc. Right. That would be awesome if it was, though. I hope that it is, because you, you guys uh, deserve to have a hell of a release for this, because it sounds like it's going to be awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we're very excited. Yeah, we're really excited. <laughs> yeah, this is all really exciting. I mean, you guys are poised here. I mean, uh, the whole purpose of the Third Man Records pressing and cast corridor, I, I mean, obviously is to draw a focus on Detroit and is to bring music jobs and the music scene sort of back to the forefront a little bit and so I think you guys are doing exactly what this entity was sort of created to do, which was to give a voice to the people of Detroit and others. But like, I think 
part of the mission statement of Cass Corridor was, yeah, to put an emphasis on Detroit and to bring some attention back there. So uh, we're just really happy for you, and we wish you all the best. If listeners to the show want to find your music and want to pick up some merch and, and download some songs or check it out, where, where can they go? Yeah, we have our own website. It's www.atmig.com, and Atmig is A-T-M-I-G. We're also on Facebook as Atmig, Instagram, SoundCloud, Reverb Nation. We have a Twitter, which is under Atmig Band. Um, and it really, if you just Google Atmig, which is highly Googleable, <laughs> you'll either get us or something in German. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you could also take uh, you could also check out Craigslist uh, and search Atmig there. <laughs> If you're lucky, you know, yeah, you'll just you'll join a, a, a folk indie band. Yeah. And if you uh, if you search Atmig video, then you'll have an opportunity to see the two music videos we have out along with other footage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, those are for the yep. songs "Trip" and "Pale," and they're both awesome. James and I just had such a ball uh, getting to know your music, and uh, and we really we thank you for for taking the time to join us today. This has been fantastic. Thank, thank you. you, guys. Yeah, thanks. So let's get back to the show. Yeah. Well, James, we've got a lot of people to thank this week. We have some new listeners to the show. I'm just going to go through a couple here on Twitter. One more shout out again to the uh, Jack White Hub and the accompanying Allison Mossart Hub. You can find them at at a Mossart Hub on Twitter. And you can also find other listeners to the show on Twitter, such as Blue Maroon or at Blue Maroon Media, Bill Page or at Bill Page 02, Glenn Saunders or at Glenos 16, and Lisa Harrow or at Lisa Harrow 1 on Twitter. So thank you to all of those new listeners to the show. We really appreciate it. And James, I think we have some returning listeners as well. Yes. Rattling around like spirits in our haunted house of a podcast we've got uh, our bones of the operation kate mccoy yeah <laughs> keeping us on the haunted night train rails jeremy riles we've got my oh me it's a ghost <laughs> me oh my we've got andre <laughs> abominable ice cold lie man we've got eileen corsano okay. i see you over there invisible man eileen people okay, okay. <laughs> both are fine not great but fine uh-huh yeah we'll we'll take yeah we'll take the best one we're both why not we've got kelly durga our third woman in spirits and ghosts every week we've got adrian king the punk rock queen of the night yes we've got rain prosper the red red rain because it's blood, Prosper. Uh-huh. We've got Amy Hart. You're almost the there. The beating dead heart of the operation. Why is it beating and dead? We've got... The telltale the telltale heart of the that's operation. That's much better. Uh, we've got... Lots of... Langoliers. Langoliers. LOL 2.0. The Langoliers don't, don't even exist. You just made them up. We've got... Yeah. Eric Andrew Dodson. We've got Dodson here. Uh, 
And he's just been eaten by a Dilophosaurus. Mm-hmm. We've got David Edgar Allan Poe. Ah, I like it. Quoth the raven. Nevermore. We've got S.A. Frankenstein. Got perfect. Yet yeah, done. It's alive! We've got mm-hmm. Yvette Wilkins. The Wilkins the, dead. We've got the Wilkins dead Yvette Wilkins. That's really good. I like that. I love it. Uh, between the two of us. That was passable. And James, for people who want to find us on social media, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thirdmen, on Twitter at thirdmencast, Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can check our WordPress page where we host the show. That's thethirdmen.wordpress.com. You can send us an email, thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Some of you have. Thank you very much for those. And if you'd like to uh, find us where we host the show, that's the iHeartRadio podcasting app, Spreaker. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Just go on there and search Third Men. You can search for us on YouTube, where James has some fun uh, visualizers there. You can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Please do that. That'll help us uh, very much. And hey, if you have any listener questions, uh, please send them in. I know we've got some brewing already, so we're gonna we're gonna think about doing another listener questions uh, segment soon. Indeed. And uh, as always, we'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help with our theme song, "Where the Third Men," and thank you to Susanna Roundtree for the spooky intros and outros of a program. Yes, and James, we should uh, let the audience know one of the changes with uh, season two of the podcast is we are switching to a every other week format. This is mainly because we are going to be uh, working on some uh, some new content. We're going to be developing mm-hmm. a, uh, a new show and mm-hmm. uh, it to go alongside this one. And um, this is going to help facilitate us being able to continue to make this show for you guys uh, moving forward. Uh, we love doing it. We love all the support. And uh, this this is the, the point of this is not to lessen this show, but to make sure that we can give ourselves the uh, runway to continue making these shows for all of you. Yes. So thank you for your support. Uh, and I, I hope that you can get used to the uh, once every two weeks schedule. And by the way, next episode is going to be a doozy. We're going to have another uh, special third man related guest. This one who is currently working with Jack uh, on a very direct level. I'll just tease everybody there. But this next one is going to be a really, really cool interview uh, episode. So it's going to be worth it, you guys. I promise. Because we're also going to be having a lot of cool new guests on and stuff. So uh, anyway, until next episode, James, I will be looking for a spooky haunted house to live in (laughs) and i'll be looking for castle frankenstein to build a home in where then people can chase me out of with pitchforks and fire see you next time bye for more information or to contact the show visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com also visit at thirdmencast on twitter and search the third men on facebook see you next time James, we're back. We're back, baby. <coughs> oh my god.
I have a cough, and it is not going away. Uh, I'm all doped up on allergy medication, so this is gonna all oh, this is all gonna be real real great audio. My entire arm swelled up. Oh my god! Um, and so we, me and Ariel, Ariel was nice enough to drag me mid, at midnight to CVS to buy some Benadryl. Oh Jesus! Because I was just gonna leave you to swell up like a. Yeah, I was. It was it was weird. Oh man! I don't know what it was. Touch something, I guess. Yeah. Spider? Where my arm ate something. Was it a spider? Oh, I have no idea. It could have been. That's what happened. I was I, touching. Yeah. All, not, all not that you touched a spider, you would have been bitten. See, James, yeah. I, since we've been on fall break, we don't talk anymore. I, I don't know any of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I got you a deluxe glass blowing kit. <laughs> well, I mean, it's sand at this point, then. Um, sand and fire. All right, all right. Thanks, I mean, Bill Nye. Well, look, California is the leading exporter of fire now. So, <laughs> so you have a box of fire. Is that is that a printer on your end, or is that something on mine? Does it taste more like soap or avocado? <laughs> yeah, let's. You know what, James? Let's let's just get started here. All right. Um, Actually, so Paul, our, real quick. Oh, yeah. Yes, from the the depths of my heart. Um, thank you. Okay. I was going well, to make a Halloween pun. Yeah, that got really uh, sincere, really fast. All right, James. All right, en- enough of this nonsense. Let's. Pro- <laughs> Sorry, my cough is progressively getting worse. I think it's from all the Wolfman. Uh, pho- photography was by Joe McCaffey. It was McCaffey. Yeah. I'll just, uh, I'll just not talk about the photography. Yeah, he, in fact, he was originally cast uh, in the role of, uh, in Michael J. Fox's role uh, in Teen Wolf, um, mm-hmm. but yes, they definitely. took one look at him and said, Mungo, um, I don't know what you looked like during puberty, but you are clearly out of it now. He, uh, Wolfmen are notorious vape lovers, though. They love vape juice. They can't get yeah. enough of vape juice, which is <laughs> one reason why Mungo Jerry would be a successful Wolfman. They're in the no. nude. Their their yeah, wolf it, it, their wolf genitalia is really flapping around out there. Really, you know. Uh, a terrible Tyrannosaurus Rex has been stolen in this very scary movie, Jurassic Park. We see you over there, Andrew. Du- Wait, <laughs> we've got Dodson. Nope. Here. nope.